0: Hey friends, it's Weston. And I wanted to take just a second to thank you for listening to the Bowling Green Christian Church Sermon Podcast. If someone recommended this message to you, I hope that it encourages you. If you're here getting caught up on a week you missed, I hope that it challenges you. And if you're a visitor checking us out, I hope that it helps you connect with Jesus and his church. Whoever you are, whenever you're ready to take your next step closer to Jesus or to connect with the BGCC family, Know that we're here for you. You can learn more about how to connect with us by downloading our app when you text app to 77977. There in the app, you can submit prayer requests, find out about upcoming events, and even give to help support our ministry, including this podcast. It's my prayer that God uses this message to encourage and equip you to take your next best step in life, which is always one step closer to Jesus. All right. So I was really bummed that I missed the presidential debates on Tuesday until I I read everybody's comments about the presidential debates on Tuesday and then I wasn't sad anymore. As a matter of fact, I was was glad. I I don't know about you, but I cannot think of another time when it has felt like there was so much political strife in our country. I think all of our collective blood pressure has been raised um, a, a significant amount. I want to say that I believe that this election is super important. I believe that as Christians, we have a civic duty to vote. I believe that we have a spiritual responsibility to to be participating in making our society a a better place. I believe that we have a moral duty to vote in accordance with what we believe to be right. Um, But saying all of that, I, I want to let you know a few things. One is that God... Has not endorsed any political candidate this season. Okay, I just want I just wanna let you know that, all right? Uh, just because a candidate says, God bless America, uh, maybe you've heard one say that, or or attends a church or holds a Bible or goes to a prayer breakfast, it doesn't mean that they are a Christian. It doesn't mean that they are a Christian candidate. Uh, and I'm just laying this all out here because I get real nervous when, you know, some religious leader, some faith leaders, some Christian pastor someplace will, will endorse a candidate and say, this is God's man. Like, like, how do you even know that? Like, how would you even discern that? Uh, God is not on the ballot. Jesus is not on the ballot. He's not uh, endorsed anybody. Uh, and I just sort of want to get that out there. I want to get ahead of this and just let you know that that's just reality, Now, if you think our politics are bad, we can, you know, rewind just a hair to, you know, we'll go back 2,000 years, and we'll get to the time of Jesus, and we look at the politics that they had in their time. Uh, There's a guy by the name of Herod, we call him King Herod, He's really more of a governor for all of the region that we think of today as Israel and and the surrounding environs, And, and he has pretty much unlimited power over that region, but he still has to answer to Rome, and Herod is a—he's um, a rough guy, uh, to say the least. He um, he orders all of the infants to be massacred in an attempt to kill the the baby Jesus. Uh, that's what he does. Now, his son will rise to power after he dies. Herod the Great will pass. And then you get uh, another son, Herod Jr., is going to come to power as well. And his kingdom's going to be a little bit smaller because Rome realized that they'd given Herod a little too much power. And so his kingdom's a little bit smaller. And this is the Herod who's in power during the time of Jesus' life primarily. And, and this Herod, he, um, he took his brother's wife from him. And John the Baptist, the prophet, he uh, calls Herod out and he says, Hey, Herod Jr., it's not okay for you to take your brother's wife. Um, And Herod doesn't like that he's being called out, and so he orders John the Baptist to be thrown into prison. Uh, There is no such thing as free speech at this point in time. And John the Baptist is going to stay in prison uh, until he is executed. Uh, Herod executes John the Baptist because his stepdaughter does a little dance for him uh, at a dinner party, and he is so pleased with this dance that he uh, tells his stepdaughter um, that he will give her anything she wants up to half the kingdom. Real creepy kind of guy. And she's not sure what she wants, and she asks mom. She says, Mom, what do you want? She's like, you know what I'd really like is John the Baptist's head on a platter. And, and the daughter says, well, that's good enough for me. And so uh, Herod hears this request, and instead of saying, you know what, I spoke out of turn, I'd had too much to drink, I, you know, I shouldn't have done that, uh, he says, all right, uh, we'll take his head off because he'd rather take off a guy's head than lose face in front of his guests. This is the kind of guy that Herod is. Okay? This is the kind of family that, that Herod uh, and the Herods were. This is the kind of political schema that Jesus is dealing with. And we've not even moved over to Rome. We, we've not even looked at Pontius Pilate, who's going to be the southern governor of that region, who's going to govern over primarily Judea at this point in time. Who will, at some point in time, march into the temple and put up some pagan symbols until uh, all of the Jewish folks protest and they make him take it down? Um, this is the this. It's a it's a political just powder keg at the time of Jesus. It, this is where Jesus lives. This is the ministry that Jesus uh, setting that Jesus has. And for the Jewish folks, you've got to realize that the kingdom of man offered no hope. It offered no hope to them. And so I think that they were incredibly receptive to this message that God's kingdom had come near, uh, or other gospels will describe it as the kingdom of heaven. It's the same thing, that God's kingdom, the kingdom of heaven has now come near and is now available. And it's the kingdom of heaven that, that brings so much hope to the people who'd been burned by the kingdom of man, who'd been cast out of the kingdom of man, or who were just so skeptical and cynical of the kingdom of man that they had lost all hope. Here comes Jesus saying, guess what? God's kingdom has now come near. Now, I want to look over these next few weeks leading through this month of October uh, at God's kingdom and perhaps the places where maybe it intersects with our modern world and, and keep an eye to the political scene as well. Uh, But we're going to do this primarily by looking at Jesus' parables, because Jesus tells parables often about the kingdom of God. And I want to start today by looking at what I'll think of as the keystone parable, or maybe uh, some people call it the watershed parable, the the master parable. It's the parable of the sower. It's the parable that Jesus tells about himself that explains his ministry and what he's come to do. Uh, We find it in several places, but Matthew 13 is the one we're going to look at here today. Matthew 13, verse 10, it says this. It says that the disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Now, some people really struggle with this passage because they think that it's prescriptive. In other words, they think that God is sort of prescribing confusion, that God is sort of prescribing, you know, a a mystery uh, in, in a way that people just can't get it. But Jesus isn't, you know, saying this is God's prescription for humanity. He is describing humanity. It's not prescriptive. It's descriptive. And what Jesus is saying is, listen, those who get it, get it. If you get it, then you get it. If you don't get it, you don't get it. You know, that's just how it is. You know, the disciples illustrate this point perfectly. They aren't totally clued in to what is happening. They're going to be confused, and they're going to ask Jesus, Jesus, you know, hey, what do you mean, like, you're going to go to Jerusalem and suffer? Jesus, what's this story about? They don't get the whole thing, but they ask questions, and they stick near to Jesus, and Jesus answers those questions. And for them, they start to get it a little bit more. They're not going to get it until Jesus has gone to the cross, until he's raised from the dead. They won't totally get it until that point in time. But, But as we go through his ministry, you'll see that their enlightenment or their understanding, it increases with time. You know, Jesus wants people to get his parables. That's why he's going to answer the disciples' questions. That's why he's going to explain it to anybody who asks him. And the disciples do. They keep coming to Jesus, asking questions, looking for answers, and that's why the disciples, they're on the inside. They get it. But you compare the disciples to the crowd. The crowd, they don't get it because they don't really care to get it. You know, they like that Jesus has got some stories. They like that Jesus is a sensation. They like that Jesus is a celebrity, and they like to be close to that, but they don't really care to take the time to understand. They don't really want to know what's going on, and then later when times get tough, they're going to leave. As a matter of fact, they're going to turn on Jesus, and they're going to have him crucified because they just don't get it. The disciples stick around. They understand. They ask questions. They get it because Jesus is close uh, to them, and, and, and he stays close to them because he's there saying, man, Jesus, will you tell us the answer? And so the disciples are those people that have some, and then they get even more. And the crowd are the people that have maybe a little bit. They get that there's something special about Jesus, but They don't really have that, and so what they have is even, it's taken away from them. Jesus says, listen, you know, if you get it, then you get it. There's something that has to happen inside of us, this this place where we come to an understanding that Jesus is the Son of God. And once we make that sort of that step across a line of faith and we say, you know what, God, we're going to trust you. I'm going to put my life in you. Uh, I'm going to put my, my trust in you. That's when God's spirit comes, and that's when we start to get a better understanding of what Jesus is talking about. But the truth of the matter is, there are some things you just can't explain without the power of the spirit. There are some things you just can't understand without God's help. It all hinges on knowing the secret to the kingdom of heaven, and the secret is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the secret. That's what he's going to tell us about. About here. You know, we see some of this playing out in America and in politics today. People are going to use Jesus to their advantage to advance their own kingdoms, but Jesus says it doesn't work like that. You've got to let me come first, allow my kingdom to grow in you. And it's not until we put God's kingdom first that we'll never we'll never experience it in power until we put Jesus first. Uh, There's a danger in getting too close to Jesus without following him. Matthew 13 describes this just a little bit. It says, in them These are the people that don't get it. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears. They have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. You see, Jesus is describing the crowd, the people who are, you know, socially connected to Jesus, socially connected to to his followers, but don't really trust him or believe him. Uh, Jesus is describing these people who've seen him do works, who've seen him perform miracles, who have heard his teaching, who get something that there's a little bit something special about him, but they don't ever really care enough to put their trust in him or to find out more. Jesus says that you just keep hearing and you keep seeing, but eventually you become numb to it. It's that skill that is, you know, as men and parents, sometimes you have that you can just tune out everything except the television at certain times. You know, it's just that gift. But the problem is that it's a curse when it comes to God. We start to turn out, tune out God's voice. We go, yeah, that's special. I've seen that before. And we minimize it. And we just sort of reduce it. And we, we say, man, I don't know that there's anything to that. You see, Jesus is describing these people who keep rejecting God's kingdom invitation. When anytime their heart starts to sense the Spirit is saying, man, God's up to something, they say, no, there's probably a different explanation. Yeah, I don't think that God's doing something. And they push God away. And they'll never experience God's truth. They'll never experience the kingdom of God in power because you can only experience God's kingdom and power when you put Jesus first. That doesn't have to be this way. Matthew 13 describes what Jesus is doing. And this is Jesus talking about his teaching ministry here. Just two things really to help you kind of get oriented with this parable. We'll look at Jesus' explanation here in a bit. But there's a character in here named the sower. This is a guy who's just sowing some seed. This is Jesus. The seed is is the the kingdom of God. It's the truth about the kingdom of God. It's the word of God that Jesus is declaring to the people. Uh, Here's how the passage uh, goes. Matthew 13, it says, "'He told them many things in parables, "'saying, a farmer went out to sow his seed. "'As he was scattering the seed, "'some fell along the path, "'and the birds came and ate it up. "'Some fell on rocky places "'where it did not have much soil.'" It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Jesus is telling us that, listen, God's kingdom is powerful and it will grow anywhere. That's what he's telling us in this passage. Now, you might protest just a little bit, and you say, well, wait a second, you know, the the soil didn't, you know, the the seed that fell in the the rocky place, it didn't, like, live. Well, it, it grew up, right? The seed sprung up. The seed did what it was supposed to. The seed brought up about a plant. It brought about new life. I mean, the seed came to life. God's Word did grow there. It was growing there. It was the soil that couldn't sustain it or hold it. You might say the same thing about the, the the weeds, right? You know, well, God's, you know, the, it didn't grow there. Well, it it did. It says it sprung up, but it gets choked out. It's not it's not God's fault. It's not the word of God's fault. It's not the kingdom of God's fault. It's the soil's issue. Well, what about the the, the seed that falls on the path? Well, I mean, you know, Robert capone has got an idea about this. He says, well, the seed still brought life to the bird. And we all know what happens with birds when they eat seeds. They distribute them elsewhere, someplace that might be a little more receptive, and the seed springs up in that location. You see, the problem isn't with the seed, the problem isn't with God's kingdom. God's kingdom will spread everywhere. Now, here's the thing there's elements of God's kingdom as you look around the world, pretty much in every place that you can imagine. There are elements of God's kingdom, values of God's kingdom, that are held within the Republican Party. Yeah, this is true. As they work to preserve personal and religious liberty, that, you know, I think God says, man, I want people to be free to worship. Absolutely, that's a value that's held by the kingdom of God. You know, as they talk about protecting private property, absolutely. You know, if we don't have anything, we have nothing to share. That's, a, that's a, one of the reasons why as Christians we need to have things that we own so that way we can share. You know, as, as Republicans stand up to protect the lives of the unborn, man, that's, that's absolutely amazing because God is interested in life from, from the womb to the tomb, as Tony Evans says. Yeah, those are some values that are held by God's kingdom. Yeah, there's other values that are held by the Democratic Party. Uh, God's kingdom values are found there, too, as they talk about welcoming the refugee, as they talk about caring for the poor, as they pursue social justice. These are elements that are near and dear to the heart of God. The problem is this, that neither of these parties are large enough to hold God nor are they large enough to hold all of the people of God. Only God's kingdom is large enough to hold everybody, and only God's kingdom is a true reflection of his values. This is why we might say God's kingdom is everywhere, but it's not complete in any one place or person. You will never experience God's full power or the full weight of his kingdom and glory until you fully surrender your life to it. You only experience God's kingdom and power when you put Jesus first. And we can do that anytime, anywhere, right? You can put Jesus first anytime, anyplace that, that you are. You can do it today. You can do it tomorrow. You can do it this afternoon. You can do it this evening. You can make a decision and say, man, I'm going to make sure that I put God's kingdom first in my life. I'm going to prioritize that in my life. Now, while you can access it from any place and anywhere, it doesn't mean that you will. Uh, I want to look at Jesus' explanation of the parable because I think it it, it helps us understand why we sometimes sometimes have problems uh, understanding or enjoying the kingdom and all of its benefits. Matthew 13, Jesus starts to explain the parable. He says, listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word, understands it, This is one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Jesus, again, is telling us that you only experience God's kingdom and power when you put it first, when you put Jesus first. The question we have to ask ourselves is what are we putting down first in our heart and minds and souls and our lives? People get confused with this parable. They think that we as people are the seeds. The truth is we're the dirt. We're the dirt, and the dirt that has been made open and available and receptive to what God is doing, that's the one that allows the most growth. That's the one that sees the most benefit of God's kingdom. The more we clear away of ourselves, the more room we make for God to grow. You see the seed that falls on the path? That's, That's the seed of a person whose heart is hard. That's the soil of a person whose heart is hard. And when that seed lands on it, they're saying, I mean, I'm totally close to the things of God. And it says that that seed just gets snatched away. It gets taken away. Now, I'd imagine that in this room and online that that's probably not you because you're you're here. You're listening to God's word. You're, you have some sort of receptivity to the things of God. Or the girl that invited you to church is really, really hot. And she said she wouldn't date you unless you went to church with her. I mean, either of those is a possibility. But odds are... You're in church and you're tuned in online because you're saying, man, I think that there's some truth to this. So that's probably not our issue, being the seed on the path. We're probably more like this rocky soil. The rocky soil, it says, you know, it, it kind of maybe even looks good from the top. It's clear, but there's just not a lot of it. It's, it's, maybe it's, you know, right over a boulder, maybe just a bunch of gravel underneath, whatever. There's just not a whole lot of, of good soil underneath. It's too hard, it's too packed, the roots can't get into it. That's the problem with this rocky soil. It, these are people, it says that it springs up quickly. These are people that are so enthusiastic about Jesus or whatever they're trying in the moment. They're like, man, go Jesus. Jesus is the best. We love Jesus. And then it says things happen. You know, life gets tough and, and the sun beats down and there's no depth there. It, there's, there's no ability for that seed to last because they've not allowed the roots to penetrate deep into their lives. They've not spent any time praying, saying, God, would you grow in me, your spirit and your kingdom? They've not spent any time in God's word. They spent more time reading the news online or, or or keeping up with whatever else, and they've not spent any time in God's word and saying, God, would you would you prepare my heart in such a way that your words could go deep into me? These are people who don't engage in church. or are not coming or, or watching or attending any way, virtual or in person. They're not, they're not in a community group. They have no network of support. And so it's no wonder that when times get tough, man, they, their faith, it withers because they have no roots. The thorns, it's kind of a different scenario. It says that the, you know the, there's a lot of weeds growing in this patch, and the, the, the seed falls there, and it springs up, but it says it gets choked out because nobody's made any room for it. These are people that they've just got too much going on in their lives, and they're saying, well, God, if you can find a place in here, I'd be happy to have you along with everything else maybe that's more you. You know, we'll put God in if he fits. You know, if if he will make some room, then we'll put God in there. But the good soil, it's in contrast to both of those. The good soil has been cleared, it's been prepared. It's ready for God. And when that seed comes, it receives it and it allows the roots to grow you've met these people. These are people who you kind of get the sense when you talk to them that maybe when they have morning devotions, it's Jesus comes to their house and sits and has a cup of coffee with them. These are those kinds of people. They're just so so spirit-filled. You just kind of get the sense that, man, they're just filled with God's love. They're people that love God with, with their whole heart. They, they're encouraging They're nothing but encouraging. They just really help you grow in your faith. They're serving people that are in need. They're sharing the gospel. They're always telling somebody about Jesus. You know the people I'm talking about. These are the people who really are benefiting from God's kingdom in this life. Now, I want to push on this parable just a little bit, and I get that I might be stretching it to the point of breaking it, but hang with me for a second. You know, we've looked at this parable, I think, a lot of times in terms of salvation. Like, are these people saved? you know, and we are go, well, you know, they, they were and then they weren't, or they got choked out and they weren't. I, I wonder this, maybe maybe the people with the rocky soil, maybe those people are, maybe they're saved, right? Maybe they're going to go to heaven at the end of time. Maybe maybe hell's not in their future. You know, it says that that seed springs up, but it withers. Same thing with the, the weeds, right? It says that the seed springs up, but it gets kind of choked out. It doesn't bear much fruit. Maybe these people are saved. Maybe Jesus isn't telling us this parable in terms of sort of your eternal destiny. Maybe he's just really talking about life right now. Maybe in some ways what Jesus is saying, listen, this seed has been scattered and and it's there and it will grow. The question is, are you going to enjoy the benefits of it? You see, we look at righteousness as a task and Jesus says, no, listen, living in righteousness, that's my gift to you. That's how you experience my blessing." You know, when you commit your life to me, you know, we think of that as reordering our priorities. And Jesus says, that's how you get the most of the life that you've wanted. That's how you get that, is by eliminating some of these things so you can see God's kingdom grow in you right now. So how do we get there? We get there by clearing away the stuff that gets in the way of God being first. You see, whatever was in that soil first is what grows, whether it's the rocks. I know rocks technically don't grow, but I mean, that's what's gonna take priority. They were there first. The weeds, they were there first. But when the soil is clear and God's word gets there first, man, it does some amazing things. I guess what I would say is, as we come into this time of communion, as we come into the song, let's really dig deep in our own hearts and say, God, what am I putting first in my life? What, what, what am I allowing to be take priority over you? You know, I can tell you honestly that in so many ways, my life is very minimally impacted by every four-year election. You know what I'm saying? Like, it doesn't change where I work or how I, you know, conduct myself or who I do business with or my relationships at home or what I have for dinner. But I can tell you that when Jesus is not sitting on the throne of my heart, then I've got real problems, okay? That's the issue. That's the, what's going first in my heart? What's going first in my life? That's the thing we should really be thinking about and praying about. You know, this November, we've got the ability to affect the next four years of our country, but today and every day, we have the ability to affect eternity for God's kingdom. Friends, you're not going to experience the power of God You're not going to experience the benefits of his kingdom if you don't put Jesus first. So as we sing this song, let's sing this as a song of surrender, as a song of repentance, as a song where we say, Jesus, I want you to be first in my life. And maybe you don't even know how to do that. This is a great time to pray and say, God, would you help me to see how to put you first in my life? God will hear that prayer. God will answer that as we do that, let's take this time. Some of you, as we come to this time of communion, you're going to have a lot of repentance to do. You're going to have to put a lot of things aside and say, God, I'm going to put you first. Others of you, maybe you've never put Jesus first in your life. If that's the case and you're joining us online, there's a little button there that you can click and request prayer and you can be connected with somebody. In this age of social distancing, I'll let you know I'll be outside. I'd love to talk with you. Elders' staff would be around, love to talk with you too. Really, you could talk to anybody who knows Jesus. They could tell you how to be in touch with him. But as we sing this song, let's, let's spend some time repenting and let's spend some time asking God to be first in us. Why don't you stand as we sing?